This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know about this podcast. Let them know how much you like it, how good it is, and how much you listen to the show. If you've been a supporter this whole time, thank you. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. And Subway to Shea is now global thanks to you. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. But no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to know how to make this show better each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving a comment in the review section. It will only help this show to grow. And when I mean leaving a comment, here is a comment left by Moak. Excellent podcast. Discovered this podcast during the offseason and have been enjoying it ever since Anthony Rivera does a great job roster trade lineup analysis really enjoy the crossover shows with other Mets podcasters this should be a definite listen every week for every Mets fan let's go Mets well Mo thanks so much and I appreciate your review letting everyone know that this is the place to be for all your Mets news analysis like you said trade lineup roster everything we talk about here so do that for me just like Mo did on Apple Podcasts. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That's a new way to do it as well. You could, I don't know if there's a review section to leave comments, but you can leave stars, and hopefully you could do that for me on Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow me and my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the Fan Sided Network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. And the last couple of articles that I wrote about were on the failure of the 2002 New York Mets. That was 20 years ago. That Coming up in this season, it'll be 20-year, I guess, anniversary of that failed year of the 2002 Mets with, you know, Mo Vaughn, Roberto Alomar, the return of Roger Cedeno. It just didn't work out. On top of that, I also did an article this weekend on none other than Travis Jankowski. He is a possible Met that might be heading up with the big team on opening day for that opening day roster, a bench piece that will be very important in the outfield. So check that article as well. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network 
at FanSighted. And now, without any further ado, we're going to head into this week's interview. So, joining me now on the Subway to Shape podcast is Matt Williams. Not only is Matt a huge Mets fan, but he is a writer and analyst for The Athletic. He also hosts the Turn 2 podcast, which is all about fantasy baseball. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Uh, very excited to have opening day here in uh, less than two weeks. <laughs> it was at the 10-day mark now when we're recording, so I'm pretty excited. Right, and it feels like this spring training. I feel like spring training should be like this every year. Quick, to the point. I mean, get everything done. Max Scherzer pitched five innings in his first start. We, like, never see that in spring training. So it's nice to get this quick uh, spring training through and get to opening day. Yeah, the. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, having the, you know, how they have pitched and catchers report a little early. I think if you had this kind of short spring training, but had that addition in the beginning for players to show up maybe a little longer uh, to get ramped up, especially the pitchers, that would be good. But yeah, overall, I definitely agree that uh, yeah, the short spring training has been has been great. <laughs> and typically, uh, you would have the players, uh, you know, communicating with the team, so there'd be mm-hmm. less health issues as there has been this year. But yeah, the uh, the short spring training has been great. Well, we're gonna get into a lot of stuff today. We're gonna talk about fantasy baseball a little later on because I want to get your thoughts on where the Mets fit into it all this season and I know a lot of Met fans uh, who play fantasy baseball and they probably want to know where they should draft certain plays who they should draft so we're going to get into that a little later but I want to start off there's only one place to start off and that's with Jake and Max Jacob DeGrom Max Scherzer have been as advertised this spring I know it's only spring but you got to like what you see both off to great starts Lucky fans on Sunday got to see them both pitch in the same game against the St. Louis Cardinals. DeGrom, three innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, no walks, five Ks. And Max Scherzer, six innings pitched, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, and seven Ks. Matt, the excitement has to be through the roof on what we've seen so far from these two aces. Am I right? Absolutely. I uh, watching the two together, it's amazing. Like Jake is having so much fun listening to Scherzer. You heard Scherzer uh, the other um, one start ago for DeGrom told him, hey, go start off this guy with a first pitch curveball. And he did. And Jake's just like laughing. Of course, he threw his curveball in the the dual start yesterday far more than he ever has. I think he threw more yesterday than he did all of last season. He didn't have great results, but he, again, he doesn't throw it much. But I love that we're seeing the different mix from him. He's, he's throwing non-max effort. He's averaging about 90, a little over 97 on the fastball, which again, he won a Cy Young award <laughs> throwing that velocity. So everyone's saying, oh, he's not going to throw 9,900. Is he going to be fine? Yeah, he's going to be fine, everybody. Uh, but yeah, watching the two converse together, it's almost like Jake's like, oh God, here's a guy who speaks my language, almost for MCU fans out there. It was almost <laughs> like Tony Stark met Bruce Banner and they're like, you know, little kids in a playground going, that's what it looks like when those two are talking to each other. So yeah, it's amazing watching the two feed off each other and it's it's going to be a pretty exciting season. You know what, what I found funny is I was talking about, you know, the strikeouts, the Grom had five strikeouts on Sunday. All of them, here's the miles per hour, 92, 92, 90, 91, and 91 miles per hour. Not even hitting 100. Like, that's how filthy he's been to start. And for him, that's probably not even enough. You know how he gets on himself. So just seeing him, you know, throw those pitches, mix it in, not have to really dial, you know, dial it up a notch like we saw him last season because we, we really don't know if, if that had anything to do with the injury that kind of took him out for the rest of the season. I know he got a couple injuries hitting, but seeing him have to, you know, work differently right now to start spring training and show different pitches. Like you mentioned, doing the curveball with uh, what Max Scherzer said and, you know, mixing in his slider. Obviously, he's got the fastball. 
This is going to be a very important year for Jacob deGrom going forward, especially now that he's opted out of his contract. So we're going to get to see quite possibly and hopefully the best out of Jacob deGrom. Yeah, I mean, he's a a great pitcher. I mean, aside from just his stuff, he's smart. Everyone remembers back in like the 2015 playoffs, uh, the Cubs series. He didn't have his best stuff, but he still turned in like one of his a a phenomenal start because he knows how to get around days where his stuff isn't necessarily there. He still turns in a great performance. Um, and that is what you want to see. He's going to, like I said, he's not pitching max effort by design. I think, uh, it's there if he needs to, especially towards the end of the year in big games, he could turn into beast mode, Jake, which we saw last year. He turned in probably the best first half in the history of base uh, from a starting pitcher. It was that good. We don't need him to necessarily be that good on a daily basis, especially if it means he misses time. If he can take us foot off the gas a bit, he can work in his extra pitches, which you know, he can, uh, you get, you get, you know, close to a full season out of him and have him ready for the playoffs. That's what you need. And uh, again, three quarters of DeGrom is still like possibly the best pitcher in baseball. And I think Buck said that DeGrom is only scheduled to go five innings on opening day, which I think is the right move considering, you know, the injury bug that knocked him out last year. Do you like the way they are treating him as carefully as possible in his return? Yeah, I would. Um, I would. The, there's no reason to, to push the envelope, especially with a limited offseason. Most teams are going to be dealing with similar um, innings issues. They're going to, it looks like there's going to be extended rosters. So there'll probably be extra arms in the bullpen as well. And then you guys, you got like Scherzer right behind him. He probably could have pitched an, uh, a complete game shutout during his first spring training outing. Uh, so he's good to go. So yeah, w- w- no reason to push things right out of the gate. Um, yeah, be careful. Hopefully this new uh, revamped team, not only from a talent standpoint, from a fundamental standpoint, Buck Showalter's in there. I mean, I think this team is going to be different in terms of getting runs in for Jake as well. So I think it's like a completely different environment. So yeah, ease him in. He'll be good to go. Uh, yeah, no reason to to shake things out of the game. And I don't know how much people really understand the importance and the impact of a guy like Max Scherzer and what he brings to the team on the field, off the field. You saw it with the CBA negotiations. You saw it in the dugout, like we mentioned, with you know chatting with DeGrom, showing him throwing that you know curveball could be very important. I think Scherzer will bring out the best, not only in DeGrom, but the rest of the team as well. Do you agree with that? Yeah, the uh, they already mentioned like the work the work ethic. Uh, they're saying that a lot of people weren't sure uh, how ready he would be because he put so much of his heart and soul into the CBA negotiations from the player's side. But he he showed up more more prepared than anyone on the team. So I think his worth ethic will obviously rub off on everyone, and everyone's going to want to pick his brain. They're going to see how he goes about his business, uh, not only from a leading by example standpoint, but literally you know just talking to him and and seeing how he goes about you know h- how he goes about attacking hitters and. Pre- in preparation because you know there's there's no one better to really learn from you can already see you know jake uh, is is learning from Scherzer already you can just tell so yeah sky's the limit for how he can help the other guys so I mean and not even just on the pitching side I mean the entire team even the hitting side as well he's a he is a a good um he's a good representative of how to carry yourself and a good role model for the entire team and then they bring in guys like Eduardo Escobar Marcana Starling Marte that are already good clubhouse presence as well it's just it's um, Scherzer being added is kind of like the head of that is just gonna just like waterfall uh, down uh, to everyone and trickle down and make just everyone strong. You know, continuing with the rotation, I got to ask you, what do you think of this rotation as a whole? Because to me, if DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett are healthy and pitch well, that anything that we get from a Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco, that's gravy to me. Yeah, uh, I think you can, There, like any team, there's going to be missed time. So it's nice to have, it's good to have depth. I, I do almost wish they went out and, and got another pitcher. No, no one of 
maybe complete, um, you know, no one of like distinction necessarily. They do have Tyler McGill. They do have David Peterson waiting to go. It looks like after his, his uh, first start, Tywin Walker will probably be ready to go, but whatever. Uh, between Walker and McGill, uh, I don't know if they'll want to get Peterson in there to have a lefty. They'll be, they'll be fine. But yeah, the top three, when they're in there, uh, Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, they will be, they will be solid. Uh, Carrasco, if he's healthy, I think people forget how good he can be. I mean, he's a solid number two on most teams. Uh, and, you know, he's coming in here as a, uh, we hope he's healthy for <laughs> so uh the the sky is the limit uh again you, you probably if you even get you know 75 percent of what carlos carrasco can be that is a huge win as your sp4 uh, so yeah it'll all be gravy there uh but yeah we'll have to see how the health goes because you know you have the top three guys you see how they hold up walker struggled a little bit down the stretch we don't know if that was you know an issue after june 21st when they had the you know, the deadline, he, we don't know if it's just a matter of innings, which is, I think, the more likely scenario that he just worn down because his slider looked really good down the stretch. Uh, Tyler McGill, we know all about him. He jumped from A ball to the majors. He's been working on his changeup. His velocity is up. I mean, there's there's all whole sorts of wild cards that could just make this a phenomenal rotation. And there's also a lot of, you know, a lot of things to worry about as far as health and, and things. So, uh, yeah, it's, we'll have to see how it falls. Uh, the, the median outcome is going to be probably pretty good. The uh, high-end expectation is... Uh, best rotation in baseball and the low end is they may be looking for another arm at the all-star break but um, all things considered they're in a pretty good spot yeah I'm definitely one of those guys that's a little worried about Carlos Carrasco like you said we know the potential we know what he has he could be a top end number two the the hip worries me he didn't really get to properly I think heal from that surgery they had to really rush him back up because there was basically no arms in the rotation you know, come June, July, they were struggling just to get, you know, starting pitchers. So I do worry a little bit about Carrasco. I think it's going to take him a little while to ramp up. Uh, barring any injury, obviously, Tyler McGill, you mentioned him, will start at AAA. But he's definitely knocking on the door after his introduction last year. And he's had a strong spring training. Are you a Tyler McGill guy? Oh, absolutely. I, I actually wrote an article last season where I was going on in the second half who stood out as far as like um, above league average and in uh, advanced statistics like O swing and Z contact, which is chase. This is a how many pitches a a pitcher would generate outside of the strike zone O swing and how much they limit contact within the zone Z contact uh, and swinging strike rate, all the things you want to see. And Tyler McGill was actually up there uh, for most of the second half with some of the elite pitchers in baseball in terms of being above league average in all of the categories. And again, I mentioned earlier, he jumped from a ball to the majors last year out of necessity because of health. And now he has jumped into his velocity a bit. And the velocity jump is big because um, a lot of people understand that when you throw faster, you obviously have better results, but there's a difference between like jumping up from like 90 to 92. And then the difference between jumping up from 94 to 96, there's a shelf right at 95 miles per hour where once a pitcher crosses that threshold, their results dramatically improve. And that is actually where McGill has crossed uh, so far in spring training, at least that we've seen. If he can continually keep his velocity where it is and he continues to work in, that changeup, that slider, when he continues to work on his secondaries, they don't need to be fantastic secondaries, but if his fastball is going to be coming in and he has control and command and he can put it at that velocity, you're looking at someone that could like approach this Brandon Woodruff, like, um, you know, have this, the brain, yeah, a Brandon Woodruff, like approach at the, on the mound and his size. Uh, I don't want to actually rule that out as a possibility. That is obviously the high end comp, but that's what he's working towards. He looks really good at times. And we saw it last year where he'd looked really solid two times through the order then he kind of fall apart. He ended the season really strong against some really good opponents. So um, it'll be a big year for him. Uh, like I said, I, I, I 
obviously just put a really high bar on what I expect he could be. That is nothing anyone should realistically expect. But uh, yeah, I'm a huge Tyler McGill guy. He has the makeup and he has the ability to be a truly uh, a truly dominant starter. And all the all the Mets need from him is to be a uh, more than competent number five. So uh, yes, uh, long story short, I feel that he probably should be in the rotation now. I understand you got to give that shot to Walker. Um, I understand that, you know, you got to give Carrasco a shot. We know how baseball works. There'll be an opening. Things tend to work themselves out. I think Miguel will be a very big part of this rotation this season. Well, like you said, when you have a guy going from a ball all the way up to the majors and, you know, having to be launched into just what the situation he has. And if you put him in this season and he's in that four or five slot with, you know, the repertoire to, you know, possibly be more towards the top end, maybe a, a three or something like that, that that's, you know, only can help out the Mets and, and something that they need and what they lacked last year with all that depth. So uh, I'm very interested in seeing what Tyler McGill has to offer moving forward, you know, especially now that we know that, you know, DeGrom's opting out. You know, we don't know how that's going to go. Bassett's going to be a free agent. And also Carrasco and uh, Taiwan Walker are also going to be free agents. So Tyler McGill is going to be an important cog to the future of the New York Mets. I want to move to some position players, the offense. You know, the infusion of Starling Marte, Mark Canna, and Eduardo Escobar into the offense has seen very positive results this spring. I think the most underrated signing of the three is Escobar. Escobar. Which one of these three do you think will end up being the best signing and which is probably the most underrated in your eyes? Best. The best has to do with Starling Marte's health. I think that that is entirely it. I think it's weird that they signed him and all of a sudden he comes out and says, I'm going to play right field every day. They certainly didn't pay him money to be a right fielder uh, for the amount of money they paid him were aggressively went out there. They they went out there to get themselves a center fielder. So that actually surprised me quite a bit. Not that I, I'm a big believer in Nimmo. I never thought he was as bad as center as people made him out to be. So this is no by anything bad. But if Marte is going to be healthy and he's going to be stealing bases at the clip, he does even, you know, even below what he did last year, he's easily the the one that can be the most important signing for sure underrated wise eduardo escobar was never given the credit uh that he deserves i mean the he struggles he can struggle a lot uh the right now it doesn't look like the mets are going to be trading uh jd that doesn't look like they're trading dom mcneil's the everyday second baseman cano's here so there is depth so it wouldn't surprise me at times if eduardo escobar was maybe given an extended breather um more days off than he would like if he's in a cold streak we saw the brewers actually just flat out sit him towards the end of last year but over the last three years he's an rbi machine and he's actually one of the few hitters that have been crushing it this spring so far he's he's gone deep uh, only once but again he's uh he, he's got that slugging percentage like 667 he's he's uh was it right now he's five for 12 very limited sample size but he looks comfortable in there and you at the towards the you know the mid to the bottom of the lineup that's really solid but um most underrated definitely mark camp i love i was so excited maybe irrationally so when they signed him uh he was injured last year so everyone looks at the numbers from his 2021 season and uh maybe they're less than impressed but again he played through injuries the whole year and uh this is a guy that really improved when he when he jumped up into kind of 
full-time at bats when the A's went through injuries uh, about three years ago. And uh, he's a huge on-base guy. He's a great clubhouse presence. He is someone that has some power. He has some speed, plays good defense. And I absolutely think that uh, the, the fan base is going to love Canna. Like, out of anyone that was signed, Canna is going to be a, a fan favorite, like, really quickly. So, I uh, love all three. Uh, Marte certainly has the ceiling to be the best and probably should be if that, you know, that's what they paid for. But Mark Canna, I, I definitely am a, a big fan of that signing. And you, know, you got Canna, you got Nimmo, and you got Marte in the outfield. Are you okay with that being the starting outfield? Because obviously, Michael Conforto is still out there. I'm okay with them leaving these guys, having them, you know, obviously the injuries are the concern, but that's with every player and every team. You know, the Conforto is still lingering out there. I don't know if that, if somehow he comes back, I, I feel like that will mess with the dynamic that has now been made with those three. What are your thoughts on the Conforto situation? I mean, if they had Conforto now, it would be great because there's going to, between Marte, between Canna, between Nemo, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be. It's just a, it's just going to happen. Uh, but there's not a bats for everyone. And it would be a shame to, I mean, this is a reason why I try to, anyone who reaches out to me on Twitter, we always want to talk Mets. I don't, I do not see a reason why we Conforto would sign because one, the Mets would want to have him back at a certain price. And it's probably a lot lower than he wants because the Mets don't necessarily see him as a guy that um, needs to play every single day, especially given their current roster, having moved nobody, they, they will be a lot more inclined to give extra days off to people, play the platoons a little more. Not that he's a platoon player. We saw in 2020, uh, the 2020, 20 short season. He went to the opposite field a lot more, hit, led the league in line drives. We know what his ceiling is and he is an everyday player. He just did. But on the Mets team, if you were to come in and just replace, uh, and just replace what we have now, uh, that like Travis Jankowski was the fourth out, then yeah, that, that would be a, a slight issue, which is why I don't think Conforto is a fit here because he wants to play every day. I doubt he gets a multi-year offer. He's happy with probably looking at a short-term deal. And if he's looking at a short-term deal coming into a possibly non full-time role, but mostly mostly full-time in the Mets park, he'd probably be better off signing a one-year deal with like Colorado <laughs> or, you know, you know, the Cubs, you know, go to, go to himself where he is himself every day at bats in a nice ballpark. Uh, and that would make more sense for him. I'd love to have him back. He is, he was one of my favorite players. So it is a shame, but I am happy with the everyday outfield that we have, but I'm not happy with Travis Jankowski out there as the fourth outfielder. I do not understand this. I know he's a great fielder, not good enough to be in the major leagues. In my opinion, the same as Albert Almora. Um, I know that everyone would, who is a pro this is saying, you know, he shouldn't play every day, but on a team with the injury prone players you have, you should probably try to rotate them out if you can here and there. And therefore you want a quality fourth outfielder and the Mets don't have that. That's why I was, I was very shocked when they, they sent Plummer down. They just, uh, they, right they away just too. brought him. Yeah. They brought Nick Plummer in major league deal. Um, and you know, he, he's a big on base guy. Uh, they just ship him straight out of here. And it, it was, it was a big surprise. Even Khalil Lee, who we know he has his, his faults at the major league level, but uh, in the, in the minors, he made big strides last year just to ship them out so quickly and just lean on Jankowski was a big big surprise to me so uh, yeah I would love to have Conforto back y you need a stronger fourth outfield here like for as as much money as Steve Cohen spent and the you know as, as good of a job as this team has done it really did shock me to not go that extra step and get that solid fourth outfielder and more importantly get a left-handed reliever how they let Chafe and go um and, and, and these other quality options just go for for relatively little amount of money regarding how much they've already went 
like in for a penny, in for a pound, so to speak. If you're all in, go all in. Uh, it's 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 a little absurd to me to spend this much money and then come up short in two very important areas. So, I mean, that's just me. It's not my money, but I think we all know enough to know that the money here is not really an object. Yeah, to come up short on like $5 million players is a little bizarre to me. Yeah, I think the Mets are, they're really banking on some of the players from last year really turning it around. Like Even you mentioned, you know, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis. They didn't trade them. So they feel like they're going to be a huge part of this team going forward. Dom Smith could kind of play the outfield in left field. Uh, McNeil can play a little bit. J.D. Davis, uh, I don't know what position there is Dom, for him. Dom, Dom kind of playing the outfield, I think, is being very generous. <laughs> yeah. I it, like, like someone mentioned to me yesterday, you know, you can say that you play the outfield, but, you know, that really doesn't mean much. So we'll see what happens with those three. Do you see them, any of those three, all three, whichever one, who do you see having the bounce back season out of the, the three of those guys? Uh, J.D. Davis doesn't appear to have carved out at bats. He, I think he is a phenomenal hitter, and it is a shame we can't get him in there every single day, regardless of his defense. I actually still think they end up trading him early enough in the season, maybe even for a reliever. Uh, you know, look, we saw what the Yankees got for Luke Voigt. It wasn't much. That's probably what you're looking for for J.D. Davis, and I think in the end of the day, Mets fans will wake up. J.D. Davis has been traded for a reliever you're not very happy with. Unfortunately, I think that's the way it's going to go. Uh, bounce back wise, uh, McNeil is a professional hitter. I know that is a term a lot of people don't like to use. It's just so, so boring and vague, but it's it's the facts. Uh, I mean, this is he's a very strong, like actual, like just professional major league hitter in terms of he doesn't wow anyone with power. Um, and but you know we saw what he did in like you know 2019, uh, you know. In uh, 2018, 2019, he was listed, I think, as like the second best second baseman in baseball by the MLB Network going into the 2020 season. Uh, he dealt with a lot of soft tissue injuries last year, so I think a big bounce back is on the way. But Dom, I, you got to love Dom too. He comes out and says his goal is to hit 300 with 30 home runs. I mean, he's you know he's 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 killing the ball so far. He looks comfortable out there. He's got the giant smile on his face. Um, I I actually think you know sometimes there's data to there's data to support anyone going to DH from the field. They usually end up being worse uh just something about not being out there and being active sitting in the dugout it just you just end up being a worse offensive hitter overall but i think it'll benefit dom because i never think it's a good idea to have players worrying about defense like you're just sitting there worrying like maybe praying the ball doesn't come to you or worrying about errors and bringing them to the plate so i think he should be the primary dh as the left-hander um i think he should be the dh over cano we'll see how that goes but yeah i think dom in terms of getting the amount of at bats uh and if they let him have full reign i expect a, a massive bounce Back. I'm glad you brought up Dom because a big thing that's been talked about is the team culture over the you know the year and a half that you know Steve Cohen has been around talked about it early with the impact of Scherzer and what he has made on the team overall so I wanted to talk a little bit about the culture of the team right now especially with Buck in charge I know it's only spring training but the team just feels different right now we hear about it on the broadcast uh, Dom Smith mentioned it the other day he made comments during the game on just the difference between now and last year and what Buck is teaching them. You also have on-field differences with the team. You have, you know, Starling Marte yesterday, um, Starling Marte on Sunday was talking about, well, it wasn't, he was on the field and just his IQ on the base pass, for example, and watching every, you know, player on the other team move um, while he's on base, it allowed him to score without any problem on a blue pit. That's something we didn't see uh, last year with the Mets. They could barely score. So do you feel there's this change in the air with this team and how they go about their business? Because I definitely feel that it would be different if they brought in a rookie manager again, like a Joe Espada or a Matt Catraro. 
yeah, I, I think that anyone who was against Buck and maybe was more pro, um, you know, future <laughs> pro analytics going to the Espadas of the world, I think they everyone has to have come around by now. The, the reviews are in already, and the players love this guy. And uh, like for you, when you alluded to Dom, uh, you can anyone who wants to look this up, there's video of Dom giving an interview on the sideline during a game of how much he loves Buck Showalter and how they're working on little things like fundamentals, where it's just a, a more professional attitude of just having you go out there and be prepared. I think the quote was, if you're smarter than the other team, then you're, you know, basically you're already in a, a great place, you know, a great position to win. Noted that they would come in and just go in and look at video. And I think they said, he said, they just reviewed rules. They would just go in and review the rules of the game and specific situations, whether you're in the field or at the plate, if certain things happen, like, you know, being aware and being and knowing what will happen to kind of let those instincts kick in uh, things that they haven't done in the past, which is really sad. Uh, um, even Seth Lugo, uh, I believe his wife actually posted this quote from him earlier today, if I'm not mistaken, how he said he's been with this organization for 12 years. And this year, this is completely different from anything he's ever seen. And he means that in a positive way. So yeah, having Buck in here and just the entire change of pace, as far as the, you know, how the front office is going about things, how they're building the team, their general approach is uh, is a game changer. So I know Mets fans, they want to win this year, always this year. You're only worried about this year. This is something that's going to change the team from years to come well after Buck has left. Uh, you know, and he's a, a perfect person to kind of kick this off and, and kind of get that uh, culture going from the major league level down. So, uh, and, you know, bringing in the players to support that too. It's just very, very well done. And I think it's, uh, even though it's talked about it, I don't think it's properly weighted enough, uh, which is why I think, you know, anyone's going like same old Mets type thing. It's not, this is anything, but someone gets injured. People want to jump there. If there's an error made, people want to jump back there. This is not that this is a new team and it's a new approach. And I'm very excited. Once again, I'm here with Matt Williams. Matt is a writer and analyst for The Athletic. He also hosts the Turn 2 podcast, which is all about fantasy baseball. So Matt, tell us a little bit about you know the Turn 2 podcast and what you cover when it comes to fantasy baseball. I used to play it myself. I haven't really done it in the last couple of years, but I know a lot of family and friends that do. So this might be a podcast they should definitely listen to. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, I, I, I really love diving into analytics and I understand that there is so much data out there, maybe too much, that uh, a lot of it is noise. Half of it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, only, only most of it, only some of it is actually actionable, especially when it comes to fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball is such a great game. I got into it when I was younger just to bond with my dad more. Um, you know, we both love baseball. We both love the Mets. This allows you to kind of study the entire player pool, everyone in the game. You kind of follow along. You can be really into it. You know, you can put money in. You can play for free. You can play casually, but you'll learn about the entire league. You kind of get more interested in games outside of your own. I mean, you still root. You know, I still root for the Mets first and foremost. That is that is uh, what I want to happen. If one of my players is going against the Mets, you know, I hope they go over four. <laughs> that I don't. I really care there, but uh, yeah, fantasy baseball is a good, is a, is a fantastic game. Everyone who hasn't given it a shot really should. Uh, but the podcast is about the kind of advanced analytics and player analysis in terms of, you know, fan graphs, baseball savant. You'll see a lot of these tools used just in player analysis in general, non-fantasy, but you can use them in order to study players, uh, you know, their performance and, you know, 
kind of predict their future performance. What I like to do is break down all those things in a way that is easier to understand. I go in, I use context league averages, and I explain what these statistics mean, how they can be useful for you. And all this is is useful outside of fantasy baseball too. I mean, I did an entire breakdown thread online about Francisco Lindor. It's completely great to read if you're a Mets fan. And uh, but it's you know a lot of important information for fantasy baseball as well. So yeah, it's it's an advanced fantasy baseball show, but I kind of break down the information for newcomers too, so that it's just as easy for them to understand and then go out and do their own player analysis using the information I give them. Where do you have some of the Mets ranked in the fantasy draft this year? Well, uh, depending on the format you're playing, there's a lot of different ones. Uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are obviously the two most important players in the Mets. They are the two most important Mets in fantasy baseball, too. Uh, they'll probably both be going maybe for in the first round, second round. So they are pure aces in the, the truest sense of the, uh, the word in both fantasy and reality. So, you know, they give you... Low ERA, low whip. They give you opportunity for wins, tons of strikeouts, and uh, that's what exactly what you want out of uh, you know a fantasy ace. Beyond that, the two top players would be Francisco Lindor again, um, and Pete Alonso. A lot of a lot of people don't realize just how well Lindor performed last year, even in a down year. Um, he really stacked up with some elite hitters and some of these like advanced parameters. He had the lowest chase rate of his entire career. A lot of people don't realize that. They think that he you know was just completely out of whack. 29.9% was his O swing, which was a chase rate, which is how many swings he took outside of the strike zone. The league average is 31.3. Um, he, he, that is phenomenal for him. And he, the big problem for him was his contact. And he already kind of went out and he, he gave like a mini interview uh, earlier this offseason and how he was kind of uncomfortable. And I think we all knew that, you know, he came in, um, he brought his family, he moved him from Cleveland to New York. He was pressing, he got off slow, makes you press more. Then he had a soft tissue injury. And then he had the whole thing with the thumb. It was just a tough year. And he admitted it it was. And we've seen that. Mike Piazza struggled greatly when he came over mm-hmm. and he was getting booed like crazy. He re-signed anyway. We know how that worked. But in terms of hard contact, I mean, his barrel percentage is 8.2%. To give you an idea, that's the second highest rate of his entire career. You know, I mean, we've seen him have phenomenal years. 9.1 is his career high. He had 8.2. His second, his third um, highest was 7.1. He had that 230 batting average. They have uh, expected batting average, which kind of measures um, how a player, this isn't predict how a player does. This is more describes how a player should have done if things like uh, league average batting average for balls in play and things of that nature uh, work themselves out had his batting average at 253 I mean you know if he didn't get injured and he batted 253 he ended the year with 20 home runs uh, 73 runs if he had never gotten injured and batted 250 we would be talking about a very different player here um, in terms of how he did in his first year so uh, we've seen how excited he is um, he's already go- gone deep for both sides of the plate in spring training so I think maybe we don't see a complete regression back to 2018. Lindor, when he had 38 home runs and 25 stolen bases, 130 runs scored. That was happy fun ball. We don't have that anymore in baseball. They're using a different ball, obviously, but I do expect maybe something closer to 2019. Uh, he batted like 280, 32 home runs, 22 stolen bases. I think that that is in the realm of possibility. Uh, and, you know, you add in that phenomenal defense. I think we got ourselves a star. And Pete Alonso is the guy that's the only guy you can kind of count on last year. And everyone kind of thought he had like a down 2020 when he actually didn't. He has such a strong end of the season. He ended up being on pace for uh, 40 plus home runs anyway. Last year, 262, 37 home runs, 94 RBIs. He's a beast. And he's only getting better, uh, even defensively. I mean, he works so hard. He's out there every day. So yeah, Lindor and, and 
Alonzo as far as hitters. They're uh, they're definitely players you want to invest in, especially Lindor, because you're getting him at a discount, I think a little more than you need to. Alonzo, I think, is not giving enough credit, but first base is a rather deep position. Most first basemen hit home runs. Very late in drafts, you can get guys like Josh Bell um, that are going to give you a lot of home runs too. So maybe Alonzo isn't much of a priority in terms of like a positional need, but uh, as far as where he goes in drafts, he's a very strong player. So um, essentially all the players you kind of expect to be very strong in fantasy, at least early in drafts, are the ones that are going to perform really well on the field as well. So outside of the, you know, the top guys, like the you mentioned, DeGrom, Scherzer, Lindor, Alonzo, what are maybe any Mets that some fantasy players you think should take a chance on or maybe stay away from? Well, Chris Bassett is a is a great investment. He goes fairly late as far as starting pitchers go. He's gotten a little bit of bump since being traded to New York. Uh, he does have a bit of a split home and away. He did really well home in Oakland, but a lot of people do home, uh, really well at home. City Field's not the pitching um, capital it used to be. It's it's a very it's it's a rather fair park mostly, mm-hmm. but overall he'll still perform well. So I think you know Bassett's really good. We've already talked about uh, Tyler McGill. He goes very late. Um, he will be he will be given a role. So I think he is definitely a good person to add towards the end of drafts. That is someone you want to take a look at. As far as hitting goes, Jeff McNeil is is almost non-drafted in like 12-team formats. <laughs> I mean, he, he is, but at the very, very end. He's a he's a eligible usually at second and outfield, uh, which is really good to have the dual eligibility in fantasy, and you're looking for a big bounce back there. So he's definitely someone who's already been announced to play every single day, and we know if he hits well enough, he could work his way high enough into the order. Uh, as far as people that you want to avoid, um, it's, it's difficult to say because Mark Canna goes really late. He's a power and speed guy. He's a good target. Eduardo Escobar has uh, the risk of being sat, which we saw last year. But again, he has that amazing power, and, you know, home run and RBI opportunity. He goes fairly late. Starling Marte is interesting. He goes in the second round pretty consistently because he stole, you know, he was well ahead in the major league lead last year in stolen base. Um, we don't know how they're going to use him. We already seen them. You know, he's had his oblique uh, issue. They're going to put him in right field instead of center field. Uh, so that's just one thing that you have to kind of judge. I mean, it's, he gives you a big bonus if he's going to steal bags like he did, but that's no guarantee. So uh, I, I like him. He's someone I think I would invest in. But uh, in, in general, if, if you're doing only like one league, it's 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 a little bit of a crapshoot there. Because if he doesn't steal what well, you're hoping he will, uh, that's a lot to be paying up for. Because in fantasy baseball, especially in your rotisserie format, like a five by five where you are being, ju- you know, you're being graded on how you do in each category, uh, stolen bases are at, at a premium. So, yeah, overall, um, that is most of the offense. The big wild card here is the the J.D. Davis and Thomas Smiths all offseason. They look like fantastic buys because it looked like one of them were going to be traded and they'd both end up with full-time at-bats. It's not the case. So that is something that is up for debate. I'd say I think Dom will end up getting enough at-bats. J.D. is currently buried. <laughs> so those are uh, J.D. is someone who's going late enough where you can gamble on. Uh, but overall, there's nothing here as far as red flags you should really avoid. In terms of the players that are being drafted, there's pure coin flips like J.D. Davis and Carlos Carrasco that go very late. The payoff can be really big, but the downside could be you have to cut them really quickly if there's an injury or no. Uh, but yeah, in general, the the Mets are really full of uh, a lot of quality, a lot of quality options for fantasy baseball. Is there a scenario, because I know that there's different rules for different leagues. Is there a scenario where like a Jacob deGrom would ever go first? I know it's always, you know, the right thing to take the position player first, but you know, there's, there are some Met fans out there. I, I have been one of them too, when I used to play fantasy baseball, where I would take like a David Wright first, just because, you know, it's David Wright and I wanted him. 
Uh, is there like a scenario where a Jacob deGrom could go first or is that yeah, the, oh, he'll be later on in, in like round one? No, definitely. Uh, the most standard format in, in original format in fantasy is uh, rotisserie, which you're essentially doing five categories for offense and pitching. Pitching being um, being wins, saves, whip, ERA, and strikeouts. And on the offensive side, you're looking at um, you're looking at batting average, runs, RBIs, stolen bases. Um, and the the idea there is if you're first place in a category, let's say 12 teams, you are given 12 points. If you are last place in the league in that category, you're given one point. So you want to contribute in every single category. And it's just kind of added up as you go along for the entire season. It's just a running total. So you want to make sure you compete in saves. You want to make sure you complete in stolen bases. All of the categories are just as important. And as it goes, hitters play every single day so they can have more of an impact on your team. Therefore, hitters usually end up being a little more important in Roto, even though starting pitching like their true aces will still go early because you want to get those strikeouts. You want to get those innings in to get things counted up. In head-to-head formats, kind of like what people are used to with fantasy football, where you are going against someone on a just one-week basis, then starting pitchers have a much greater value, especially in points leagues where you're just adding a point because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, especially, you know, you have those weeks where a pitcher starts twice because <laughs> there's, you know, plenty of times where within a seven-day period, a pitcher will get two starts in there. In those scenarios, absolutely. You could see a pitcher go number one, um, like a Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Jacob DeGrom right now. DeGrom has that worry because of last year with the injuries so he hasn't he hadn't been going that early um crease and like more before spring training but now that he has come out and looked very healthy he's his his value is really starting to climb and everyone all the reports about the uh players started using the sticky substances down the stretch and they're going to crack down ironically garrett cole's price has gone down (laughs) and there he's going a little later i think people may be worried that uh maybe he was uh you know back on the horse, so to speak. Uh, But yeah, absolutely. In in head-to-head formats, pitching, especially like a Jacob deGrom, could easily go number one. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. Give us a little insight on what you're working on next, and uh, make sure to share your social media handles as well. Sure. uh, I'll be doing player breakdowns in the... uh... For the athletic of my very next article is actually on one of the more controversial players in fantasy because you've seen him drafted anywhere between like rounds three and rounds like 10 Bobby Witt jr. Mm-hmm. All the Kansas city Royals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he doesn't have any track record in the major leagues. So uh, I, I have uh, a couple of articles coming up on player breakdowns. The first of which will be Bobby Witt jr. I'll also talk about soon. I'll be having one about Christian Yelich as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. I love talking baseball. I leave my DMs always open. It's usually if anyone has any questions about any advanced analytics I talk about and you want to ask me a question privately, they're always open if you want to talk about baseball. Well, Matt, I, again, I can't thank you enough. Thanks again, and I'm looking forward to having you on in the future. We'll do this again definitely during the season. We're going to have to talk about fantasy updates with players and everything like that and obviously what's going on with the Mets You take care. You have a great one, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. That was Matt Williams. Matt is a writer, analyst for The Athletic. He's also the host of the Turn 2 podcast, which is all about fantasy baseball. Make sure you check it out wherever you listen to your podcast, especially if you're playing fantasy baseball this season and getting ready for the draft. It's very important to understand all the nuances. I know we only really focused on the Mets, but if you're a Mets fan and you like to draft Mets and you want to know where to 
take them and why to take them and who to take, this is a podcast you're going to want to listen to. So that's why I wanted to bring Matt on, do a little something different, especially as we get closer to the season. I know a lot of people are getting ready for their drafts, so make sure to listen to Matt Williams on the Turn 2 podcast. Now, my final thoughts before this train leaves the station. Mets settle arbitration with their eligible players. As you know, we're going to go through some of the numbers here. Edwin Diaz is going to make $10.2 million. Pete Alonso, $7.4 million. Brandon Nimmo, $7 million. Dominic Smith, $3.95 million. Trevor Williams, $3.9 mil. Jeff McNeil, $3 million. Seth Lugo, $3.9. J.D. Davis, $2.7. Miguel Castro, $2.6. Joey Lucchesi, $1.15. Luis Guillorme, $875,000. The only player to not come to an agreement was Chris Bassett, and they're going to have... A, I guess, an arbitration hearing on that situation. I don't know where they are with that at the moment. Um, also, Drew Smith and Tomas Nito also agreed to terms on a contract, but those numbers were not revealed. And looking at this article that Pat Ragazzo, who's been on the show, um, he put it, their projected numbers of what they would get next to him, and they're pretty close, very close to what they would have been um projected to get so that's good for the Mets happy to see those players get their contracts done and settled and um, as we look also moving on Mets players that got optioned since spring training has begun obviously Jordan Yamamoto started that off um, about a week ago also uh, Thomas Zapuki also got optioned um, to Syracuse and then you lately we've gotten uh, some of these Mets who Pat Mazika, Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos, Travis Blankenhorn, Jose Buto, Nick Plummer, Khalil Lee, those guys will probably be in Syracuse for the AAA team and would come up in case there's any injury. Uh, also, the other day, Brett Beatty, highly touted prospect, also infielder Matt Reynolds, outfielder Jake Mangum, and left-handed pitcher Rob Zestrenzi. So that's hard to say his last name, but the, he's a left-handed pitcher. Um, speaking about prospects, did you all see, and I posted this on Twitter, Francisco Alvarez's moonshot, literal moonshot that he hit in the game the other day during the week, comparisons to Mike Piazza's swing and how he holds the bat with both hands during the follow-through. I know he's still not ready yet, but the little glimpses that we get to see of him so far this spring has been nothing but a joy can't wait for him to be ready can't wait for him to come up I think he's the number nine overall prospect in Major League Baseball which um that's big for the Mets and um I look forward and I know all you fans can't wait to see him in a New York Mets uniform at City Field the New York mayor, Eric Adams, has now given the vaccine exemption for New York athletes, which will allow the Mets and Yankee players who are unvaccinated to play at home. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of this or who should have gotten the vaccine, who didn't get the vaccine. But what we do know now is that there's going to be no issues of any of these players playing this season with now having this exemption. Also, big news, Johan Santana, no hitter. It's the 10-year anniversary, and the Mets are going to be honoring him. And this is an awesome moment. We've talked about Steve Cohen and what this Mets organization is doing for the history of this team. So that no-hitter is going to be commemorated 
Tuesday, May 31st, prior to the 7-10 game against the Washington Nationals. Now, people are saying, why not on June 1st? That's when it actually happened. Well, on June 1st, they play the Nationals in a go-away game at 1-10. Now, why not put the game at night? Well, they have to travel the next day to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers on a big West Coast trip. So that starts the following day. So I can kind of understand why they didn't do it that day. I don't really have any issue with it. I'm just very excited to see more honoring of this Mets history and of this franchise. It needs to be done. And Steve Cohen has done a great job in putting these events together. I don't know if you're a season ticket holder or not. But I saw on Twitter that season ticket holders got this box. And when you open it up, this video played with so many memories of great historic moments in this franchise's history. So it was, you know, a very fun little thing that the season ticket holders got. I don't know if anyone else got it, if they had a smaller plan, if they got it or not. But I did know that a season ticket holder did get that. And if you did, I hope you enjoy that and have fun going to the games this season. I'll be at a couple of games so far. Probably will be at the Keith Hernandez number retirement night and also at Old Timers Day. So I hope to see you guys out there. One final thing. I don't know if you guys got to see it, but it is pinned to to my Twitter, at Subway to Shea. But I did an appearance on New York One. It was for a quick 30 seconds, but we talked about baseball coming back and how we feel and if we would ever leave and... Um, if you check that out, I appreciate it. I got some comments back on that, and I appreciate everyone who did. If you haven't, it's pinned to my page. Check it out. I did a little appearance on New York One. They got me. They had the Yankee content creator, I think Josie McFly, and um, that was a fun, you know, couple of minutes that I got to talk on there, and uh, fun to see me on TV. Hopefully, there's more appearances, so you never know. But as we wrap up this show today, please take a few minutes to write me a review, and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. Let me know how to make this show better each and every week you do that on apple Podcasts. go on there rate the show from one to five stars hopefully you're giving me five stars and also leave a comment in the review section you don't know how much that helps when you do that so by doing that it helps me to help this podcast grow each and every week you can also rate the show on spotify one to five stars i think i haven't done that part yet but you can go on there you can rate the show there's no comment section yet but you can rate the show on spotify and i would appreciate that as as well for whoever listens to the podcast on Spotify. Now, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shay. And this past week, I did a Instagram live and I'm going to do a lot more of those. Um, there's going to be a lot more Twitter spaces and a lot more Instagram lives once the season gets underway. So be on the lookout for both of those things. I got some other stuff that I'm working on that I'm going to share with you soon, but um, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. That's where you'll find it most at Subway to Shay. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan sided network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple as I will leave the links in the description of this episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. And next week is the preview show. 
to opening day. We are going to look at this roster. We are going to, you know, preview the team, preview the season. It's next week, right before opening day on Thursday. So make sure to look out for that. Enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoyed. And that will do it. So always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.